Welcome to Pop Culture Rx, part of Hackensack Meridian Health's award-winning podcast. Pop Culture Rx is where we sit down with a medical expert and talk through various health-related topics circulating in today's media. In our discussions, you'll hear from a variety of professionals sharing insight and advice on these newsworthy conditions. This is Pop Culture Rx. A number of celebrities have been very candid about their endometriosis diagnosis, and most recently, Fantastic Beasts actress Jessica Williams shared her personal journey about living with the painful disease. The 32-year-old actress explained the debilitating pain she experiences, especially during her period, and was at one point admitted to the ER for the pain. However, it took years before she actually was diagnosed. Today, I'm here with Dr. Kathleen Walsh, a board-certified OBGYN with Hackensack Meridian Health, to talk us through why endometriosis is so hard to diagnose and the various treatments available to women who experience the pain associated with the disease. Thanks for being with us, Dr. Walsh. Thank you for inviting me. So before I begin diving into endometriosis, I'd like to get to know you a little bit. Can you tell us what brought you to this specific career path? What made you choose OBGYN? Yes, sure. I've always been um, uh, a a daughter, a sibling. I have sisters only. I have uh, daughters myself. So I've always been interested in women's health. Uh, and the natural evolution, of course, in OBGYN is that you're a woman's advocate by definition. Um, so it became a natural fit as I moved through my training uh, to be involved in uh, women and women's health and advocacy. What I've discovered as I've gotten uh, gone through this poor part of my career so far is that I also really enjoy the multi-generational part of what an OBGYN does every day. And I have patients uh, who are adolescents, uh, and I have patients who are well into their 80s. Uh, and at this point, I've known some of them for a very long time as well. So that's that's really what has been the joy and as well as what the appeal was for OBGYN to me from the beginning. Yeah, you probably see patients, you know, from as early as 13 and then them having their own babies and grandchildren and whatnot. I know for me, my, my OBGYN has been with me since since my teens. It, it's, it is. It's lovely. Part of my practice is, uh, you know, that it's been around for several generations. And um, you know, I've had a patient say to me the other day, she's like, oh, Dr. Walsh, I've known you since before I had sex and you just <laughs> delivered my baby. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. That's nice. Yeah. And eventually I'll probably deliver someone's baby who I delivered, but I haven't gotten to there yet. Not, not, yet. not there yet. Yeah. Still too, <laughs> way too young for that. I was going to say, <laughs> any interesting cases that stand out to you over the years that you could share? Oh, there's, you know, there's so many. The, the aspect of, o, of OB, obstetrics, delivering babies is always the most dramatic and for most people the, you know, life event that they'll never forget that you get to be involved in. Um, some of the GYN issues, of course, that are um, painfully memorable are when you're diagnosing a cancer or giving somebody some bad, bad news in that regard. Um, you know, like any career where you're involved with people, um, the pe- the patients that I recall are usually the ones that touch a note uh, very personally, uh, you know, at points in my life when my children were young and someone's going through something painful with their young child or when someone is older and they're going through something. And I've seen that in my own family. There's always that, uh, that, that uh, human connection that makes uh, certain patients more memorable. But um, 
you know, again, the range of life events that we get to see uh, in our career is what makes it, uh, you know, never boring. Oh, I could yeah. imagine. Yeah. Never boring. I would never think you'd be bored. No, never bored. So let's dive into endometriosis and start at the beginning. What are some of the symptoms? Yes, what makes endometriosis um, sort of uh, an enigma for a lot of people when they read about it is that there's so much overlap uh, with with, uh, what would seem like generalizable symptoms for a lot of us for uh, our cycles. So for a lot of women, especially adolescents or younger women, um, their periods are painful. They sometimes lose a day or two. But what makes endometriosis uh, a more important diagnosis is the women that have some of those symptoms to a severe degree where it can be uh, disruptive to their life, uh, where they have such pain with their cycle or building up to their cycle. Um, Some women will have severe pain with sexual activity. Uh, Sometimes there's pain with with, uh, bladder pain. Sometimes there's pain with having a bowel movement, uh, and that can get progressively worse as the disease progresses. but again, a lot of women will have symptoms like that. Some months are better than others. Sometimes it's worse when you're younger. Sometimes it's worse when you get to be closer to menopause. Um, so what makes endometriosis difficult to delineate for a lot of physicians and patients is that that overlap with the um, commonly accepted symptoms from menstrual discomfort compared to um, the severity that can be associated with endometriosis. And you mentioned pain being one of those main symptoms. What's really causing that pain? What really is endometriosis? Uh, I think the main thing that causes the pain is inflammation. You know, the process is an inflammatory process. There's lots of biology words and markers and chemistry, but the basic ideas, and you think about, uh, you know, the lining of the uterus where your period comes from, it gets very fluffy. Uh, It's preparing for uh, for pregnancy. And then if there's not a pregnancy, there's this big drop in hormones and that lining breaks down. In endometriosis, that same tissue is somewhere where it's not supposed to be, like on your ovary or on your tooth the tube or inside your pelvic cavity and it's also getting fluffed up and ready for a pregnancy and and then breaks down and all there's a lot of inflammation with that so we think that the pain is mostly from that inflammation Um, there's also some theories about the way it affects the nerves uh, and there's a neurologic possible piece for some women um, but it's basically inflammatory got it so are there any sort of risk factors for this type of disease or is this more of a condition there's an association there's some uh some overlap in family so there's a thought that there might be a piece that's hereditary um the the thing to understand is that the formal official diagnosis of endometriosis isn't made uh, unless you have surgery so to really say a patient definitely has the endometriosis diagnosis she has to have had a surgery where a little piece of endometriosis was taken out of her body and biopsied Um, so that's a pretty big step to go to Uh, so there's this another enormous body of uh, patient life that is non-surgical so um, uh, in order to really suspect that someone has endometriosis you may treat them without having that formal diagnosis so to really uh, do a study those patients would have to be at the point where they need surgery so it's it's hard to pull apart who truly has it, who doesn't have it, um, and then uh, and get a real firm diagnosis and uh, understand what the risk factors might be. Um, who would be that person that would, you know, be 
eligible, I guess would be the word, for surgery? Like, how would you know to be like, you know what, you need to get this surgery so that we can figure out if this really is what we think it is? In order to come to the point where you need surgery, it has to be a collaboration. So it would have to be something that you would discuss with your doc and say, like, I'm at the point where nothing is really helping. Let's see uh, exactly what's going on. Um, The other type of endometriosis is when there's a growth of endometriosis on the ovary. So that patient, if something looked weird or funny on her ovary and you suspected that it was endometriosis related, she might need surgery. Otherwise, um, the real typical picture of an endometriosis suspicion is a patient who comes in, she's got these complaints, her, her life is miserable, she's missing days of school. Typically, in my practice, um, I'm seeing uh, young women. Um, so I had a patient come in with her mom, and her mom was frustrated because the, her daughter would call her from school, come get me, I can't carry on. Um, and the mom had read something and said, I think she has endometriosis. I'm like, well, yeah, she might, but we don't need to put her through surgery first. Let's see if we can get her feeling better. That's the most important piece. I get pushback sometimes. People say, how do you know she? I want to know. I need to know. I'm like, do you really want to put a patient through surgery if you can help her without the surgery? So so you come to a fork in the road, like you're asking me, when would you decide to have do surgery? I, I would have to say, I've tried alternative treatments. We tried X, Y, and Z. We got to a point where the patient is still suffering, uh, and we need to do some sort of surgical evaluation and possible treatment that way. So would surgery, you mentioned surgery would entail a biopsy, obviously. Would it also entail like removing all of the endometriosis or removing the uterus as a whole? Uh, It can, but again, those are the most severe cases. Um, I think most patients that end up with a full surgery, like you're saying, where there's a removal of uh, endometriosis or there's laser zapping it when you get in there and you kind of get rid of the lesions, which is the language you use to describe those little um, little speckles of endometriosis that you can see inside, um, that that patient, you would go in there to biopsy, but also to get rid of what's in there. Then the extreme version of that would be something like a hysterectomy or removal of the ovaries. Do you see that very commonly or or you mostly see just... I, I do not see that commonly. In a general OBGYN practice, I don't think that most of us see patients that are that extreme. Or we might suggest that they see a specialist. Um, within my practice, we have a couple of the specialties called reproductive endocrinology. They're basically the doctors who do infertility treatment. And you may send a patient to them not necessarily because of infertility, but because they need that type of specialized surgery. So sometimes a reproductive endocrine doctor will be my my uh, referral for a really severe case. It is not that common. Okay. Well, that's a good thing. Yes, it is a good thing. So you mentioned infertility. So how does endometriosis interfere with fertility? I could imagine that it, it does because it's all in the same area. Right, it can. Um, so there's a big overlap between patients with endometriosis and, and women who have fertility problems. But they aren't, uh, uh, not everyone with endometriosis has infertility and not everyone with infertility certainly has endometriosis as their diagnosis. Uh, but what endometriosis can do is it can, that all that inflammatory process can cause scarring over time. Uh, it can make the tubes get scarred or uh, where they don't, there's no road to travel when the egg uh, is trying to get to where it needs to go. Uh, or there can be scarring even on the ovary so that it's not as functional. Uh, there can be scarring in the uterus as well uh, that may um, cause 
cause trouble with implantation when you're when a couple is trying to get pregnant. Um, so yeah, so there there is a good proportion of of infertility patients who have the endometriosis diagnosis, uh, and sometimes they'll benefit from that type of surgery that you were asking about, uh, whether it's ablation or zapping the endometriosis, and uh, that will sometimes improve their fertility chances. I like how you mentioned that there's no road for them to go on. So basically you would go in, get this type of treatment so that you can kind of like clear a path for the road. Maybe clear a path, reduce the inflammation, uh, and uh, and that can improve fertility. And sometimes, if the tubes are really damaged, they have to they come out, and the patients might need something like IVF or in vitro. We talked a little bit about fertility treatments with people for endometriosis, mentioning that surgery might be one of your your first treatments, or IVF, or anything like that. There was also mentioned when I was doing some research about endometriosis fertility index. So there's a lot of lingo around endometriosis. It, um, if you do some reading, and that I think that's what sometimes happens when patients start to dive into some of what you can Google. Uh, there's a lot of lingo. There's um, surgical staging. Most of that is helpful in a research setting uh, because of a physician is trying to quantify or put a number behind how bad was the disease when you got in there surgically. So the lingo for the staging and trying to um, document how extensive did it look in there, um, the reproductive endocrine specialties have come up with a efforts to, to describe that uh, and not just use, uh, you know, flowery language like looked pretty bad, you know, <laughs> not so much. Uh, so they're trying to quantify it in stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four. It's not that helpful to me when I'm talking to a patient to really use that kind of a system, but that's really who uses it. I got it. So how would a woman improve her chances of conceiving with endometriosis? Is there anything that she can do proactively? Yes, there certainly is. I, the The main goal is to stop the progression, to stop that disease from getting worse and worse and possibly causing more and more scarring, which we think is what causes most of the fertility issues. So um, to me, that's quieting down a lot of that, pro- that inflammation uh, as early as possible. Really, the best way to do that is to, to use a birth control pill. Um, so I have some very young women that we sometimes have to spend some time explaining Birth control pills are not just birth control. They're this, uh, you know, liberating medication um, that mimics what your ovaries normally do, um, but doesn't allow that inflammation to happen. So when I have a woman who comes in or a young girl who comes in and she'll say, well, what about if I start the pill now, will I have trouble having a pregnancy in the future? My answer is no, it actually might increase the chances if you do have an underlying endometriosis all of that process is quiet when you're on the birth control pill. So we can offer the low dose pills these days that work beautifully to really quiet down the inflammation, quiet down the ovaries. And if there are some endometriosis um, implants or lesions around, they're gonna stay quiet too. Um, so that, that can be a big help in um, reducing the chances of it progressing and becoming a problem with fertility. Oh, I never even thought of that. Yeah. So you mentioned the pills with the IUD or the ring. 
the NuvaRing work in the same way? Or? Well, NuvaRing is a lot like the pill. So it's the same stuff, right? It's the same hormone in there. So if you were to use a NuvaRing birth control or a patch, um, that's the same as the pill. So any of those modalities, getting that same hormone into your body, the mechanism, the way it works is it shuts your ovaries basically down. Uh, and, but um, the IUD is different, right? So the IUD does not stop that process. So a patient with an IUD will have much, much better periods, but her ovaries may still cause trouble. And she still may have uh, some of those uh, endometriomas on her ovaries. She still may have some progression. So not as good a choice if the goal is to reduce the endometriosis. So it kind of all depends on what your goal is, right? That's, a, that's right, the, the context, right? The patient is looking to have a family soon or she's looking to quiet things down for the someday that she might want a family. Got it. So we mentioned the pill. Are there any other alternative therapies that women could go through to kind of help quiet down? Maybe acupuncture, exercises, supplements, anything like that? Um, there's really good literature about the benefit of exercise for a lot of the diseases that have an underlying inflammatory component. So people who have um, some inflammatory bowel disease, things like Crohn's disease, colitis, uh, things like endometriosis or severely painful periods, there's very good literature about regular uh physical exercise being very helpful with quieting down um, some of those diseases. Um, there's also some good uh, evidence about acupuncture being a good option as well. I don't know about supplements. Um, you know, most American women get pretty much all of their vitamins in their regular diet. Um, uh, so there's not a lot of good evidence that supplements will make a difference. Any sort of foods or things to avoid? Obviously, you know, there are so many theories about like an anti-inflammatory diet and things like that, I would guess that something like that might help as well. Uh, it might, uh, but um, I don't know that there's a lot of evidence about it. If I have, you know, again, I always tell my, when I'm talking to my students, I say, listen, if a patient comes in and tells me that her anti-inflammatory diet changed her life, I'll say, that's great to hear. Uh, but there is no uh, f full medical type of studies where you put someone not on an inflammatory diet and someone on an anti-inflammatory diet and compare them. So it's hard to really say that there's hard evidence. Got it. So we mentioned surgery, but what if it's left untreated? What if we didn't treat the endometriosis at all? That's what would a, happen? That's a great question. What What is interesting about endometriosis is the, there is not a big correlation with how severe it is and how much uh, how bad a patient's symptoms are. So you can have a patient who is crippled by her, uh, her pain that seems to be related to her endometriosis and surgically go in and you don't really see much at all. And it's very disproportionate to her clinical description of what she goes through versus what you see surgically. And the inverse of that also it seems to be true where a patient may be going in to have her appendix out or she's going in uh, to have a gallbladder surgery or something and by the way you look down in the pelvis and she's got horrendous scarring, horrendous endometriosis, you can't believe that she can even stand up straight and she has no symptoms. So the really interesting about endometriosis is we don't really know that if you did nothing uh, in a patient whose symptoms aren't too bad, uh, that it would get a lot worse or not. And we also don't understand what is the difference between those two types of patients. Is there something uh, 
at, you know, at the molecular level that's different about um, the way one patient's symptoms present versus the way the patient with all of this scarring and feels no, has no issue, uh, why, what makes them different? We really just don't know. It's almost like their pain tolerance, right? They might have this pain, but their pain tolerance is so high that they, it's like... You know, pain is such a, a you know, above the neck issue culturally you know as an obstetrician I see women in pain all the time uh, and I can tell you that there's a huge difference in how women handle it from different countries uh, from different ethnicities uh, and so that yeah there's a big uh, component of what is your pain tolerance and how do you express it and you know that's what also makes it very muddy when you're trying to interpret some of the studies you know a lot of the studies are on you know white women from an affluent background and like we don't really have a lot of information about from women of color uh, or from different um, you know diverse backgrounds to really understand things like endometriosis so hopefully that will change yeah and yeah. it's probably has a lot to do too with your upbringing you know if if your mom was one who's you know rub some dirt on it versus a mom who was a, a helicopter mom hovering over you it probably you handle pain in a different way yeah that's a that's a tricky one to talk about isn't it yes mm -hmm. because um you know your family dynamic yeah. um the way your gender differences in a family uh, yeah. huge huge issues there that's exactly right um but uh I think that's where things like lifestyle changes might make a difference for some people and feeling more in control. There's a big piece of yeah, that as well. And, and it could yeah. be why some people just don't get diagnosed for a while because at first that, that pain might be nothing. Right. That's right. Yeah. Or it's minimized mm -hmm. uh, or they're busy and they're not thinking about it until yeah. they start to realize uh, how, how much they've been actually struggling. So. Yeah, until until their doctor says, oh, have you felt this or that? You right. know, you're like, oh, actually, yes. Right. So I wanted to talk a little bit about surgery, things to consider, types of surgery, what to expect after surgery in terms of recovery. Um, <clears throat> are there different types of surgery? So we did mention hysterectomy. We mentioned the laser. Anything else that we might want to think about? Well, I think if you're if you're thinking about surgery for endometriosis treatment, there's sort of two big groups. One group is to go where you want to preserve fertility, you want to preserve patient's ability to have a pregnancy. Um, so that patient would be ideally laparoscopic surgery where you just make a small incision around the belly button, one or two other small incisions. It's usually a same day surgery. Uh, and you go in with a camera and look in all the little nooks and crannies in the pelvic area, the abdominal area, and pick out or laser zap uh, any endometriosis you see or release or free up any scarring that you see. Uh, with the goal being that you'll improve her pain and most of the time that surgery is done to try to help a patient get pregnant. Um, so that patient goes home the same day. Um, she would be encouraged to try to get pregnant right away because right after that type of surgery is usually when you have your best shot uh, of getting pregnant in the first couple months. Um, the more radical, extreme version of this would be the patient with really intractable, really tough pain, hasn't been able to be offered any relief, uh, does not want to have any pregnancies uh, ever again or ever, uh, and she wants to uh, have uh, be done and have most of her uh, cycle uh, ended. So the hysterectomy word means that you take the uterus out. The uterus is often the source of pain, but what um, most people don't realize is that really what creates the endometriosis cycling and causing more pain is the presence of your ovaries. So really, truly um, 
surgery to get rid of your endometriosis would also include having your ovaries out, which has some real potentially negative health repercussions as well. So that would be a pretty extreme option. And that's I, an oophorectomy, right? That's an oophorectomy. That's exactly that's right. That's my yes. favorite word yeah. ever. Yeah, double O. Yes. Oof. Yeah. So you mentioned some repercussions medically. What are... What would that well, include? if a woman is younger, especially, and she loses her sore, her main source of estrogen, which is what the ovaries are, um, mm-hmm. then there is a big increase in her risk of cardiovascular disease in the short run. Um, and as and in addition, um, bone loss. Um, so those are probably the two big medical issues that we would be concerned about if someone as young as 35 or 40 had her ovaries and her uterus removed really the ovaries removed, uh, would be that loss of estrogen and the, and the health repercussions. So she would certainly have to go on some sort of hormone replacement for the health benefit uh, for uh, until she's at least the age of normal menopause. Um, and that's that's controversial as well because those patients are they don't want anything to do with any hormones because they right. su- they feel like that's the cause of their suffering, understandably. Right, right. And then what should they expect after surgery? Is it a really long recovery in terms of are they going to experience more pain because they yeah. just had surgery? Yeah, that's a, a good question, too. These days, I think um, most of our hysterectomies and oophorectomies are done um, robotically. Um, so a robotic uh, hysterectomy and oophorectomy uh, is often same day. Patient can go home the same day or if not the next morning. And the recovery is much more, uh, much shorter uh, than it would have been for the old-fashioned open, big, big scar or like a c-section scar or worse an up and down kind of scar where you really have uh six to eight weeks of, of home and physical recovery with the robotic or laparoscopic it's usually maybe a couple of weeks uh there'll be modifications on things like lifting and stuff but beyond that usually the physical pain of recovery after uh, those minimally invasive hysterectomy ophorectomies is is amazing and what about those who get, you know, the endometriosis lasered off? Would mm-hmm. it be less than that? It would be much less than that. Yeah, much less than that. That's usually go back in a couple days, you know, no heavy lifting just to keep those little in tiny incisions protected. But um, usually the recovery from that, again, it's I have patients go back in a couple days. Wow. Early. So, and usually feeling better because, you know, you got rid of some of that inflammatory stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Probably less pain than you were originally experiencing. That's well, that's the goal. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Any sort of effects of surgery on on fertility. So as we mentioned already, the benefits of surgery are tremendous. In terms of the laser, not the hysterectomy and oophorectomy. Yeah, yes, if you're doing a surgery to try to treat the symptoms. The problem, of course, with endometriosis is is if you do nothing besides get rid of what's there, more will come. So if you get rid of what's there and do nothing else, uh, then you will probably continue to have endometriosis form. Um, so if a patient wants to is having the surgery to get pregnant, that's where we say get pregnant right away so that that process stops. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're not going to get pregnant right away and you have that surgery, then you should ideally go on something suppressive like a birth control pill. Yeah. Um, and there are some other newer medicines that are sort of like a medical menopause. Um, so it's a pill you take every day. There's also an injection that you get once every three months, and it basically pretends that you're in menopause so it shuts down uh the functionality of your estrogen instead of taking out the ovaries you're sort of medically uh quieting them down more radically than a birth control pill would and so if you went on this medically induced menopause menopause, would you be able to go off of it and then get pregnant you could 
if you wanted to, yes. So, um, that's why they say this, try to save the surgery until you're really trying to get pregnant. Yeah. Um, but, um, but, you know, again, there's a small subgroup of women that really struggle and the surgery is their last resort to try to just get rid of what's there, start over again, yeah. go maybe on something like a Lupron or uh, there's, again, there's newer medications that are oral uh, that you can use for a couple years. Yeah, so there's yeah. no official cure to endometriosis. I think that's a fair thing to say. Yeah, there's really no official core, cure. Yeah. Any sort of prevention methods that women could use? I, I think, um, you know, I think we talked about the birth control pill family. You know, like you said, the ring and the patch and the mm -hmm. pill, they all fall into that birth control category. You know, they're very safe. They're, when people, when we talked a couple of years ago about like, what, what do you think was the greatest invention of the last hundred years? I'm like, there's no question in my mind the birth control pill was an absolutely liberating invention, not just for the contraceptive benefit, but because it freed women from their menstrual misery yeah. and endometriosis is responsible for a lot of that. So, um, so to prevent it from getting worse or happening, the birth control family can suppress a lot of that safely, effectively. By the way, it makes your period like nothing. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of women are, uh, you know, find that very freeing, where they don't have to change their behavior every 28 days. Um, so, um, so the probably the main way to prevent it or prevent it from getting worse would be something like a pill. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Yeah, I think from, you know, from my side of the table, when a patient comes and she has concerns like this, I would really advocate patients to to come back, to keep talking. Um, I see people, uh, patients kind of pop around among some local physicians, and I would say, you know, if, if what I offer to you didn't work for you, come back and let me know. So keep working with your doctor because we usually will treat the most common thing and then we don't know it didn't work unless you say, I made an appointment three months later, come in and talk about your problem. Don't throw it in there with your well visit. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sometimes uh, your doctor's in a hurry or she thinks you're there just for your checkup. And then at the end you say, oh, by the way, I have these miserable <laughs> periods. I'm like, okay, let's sit down and talk about just that. So I would really say the take home lesson to me would be to keep working with your physician if you like her and you trust her. Um, keep working with her. Endometriosis is a chronic problem. It is a long-standing problem and it requires specific attention during a visit just for that issue uh, and, and good follow-up. And there are so many different methods. You mentioned a few of birth control methods to help the problem. Who right. knows which right. one will and work for right. you? And that's right. They don't all work for all people or all women. So for sure, it just takes some patience and uh, trust for that to find the right solution. Yeah, and yeah. advocate for yourself. And advocate for yourself, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Oh, you're Walsh. welcome. Thank you. My pleasure. If you have a topic you'd like for us to cover, submit your ideas on hmh4u.org backslash podcast. Your suggestion could be included in the You Asked For It special episodes. The material provided through this Help You podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician. Always consult your physician for individual care.